We are um, spending some time in the Word of God as we do each week, morning and evening. And um, at the moment in the mornings, we've been doing something a little bit different. Our sermon series is titled At the Movies. And uh, don't get too excited, we're not going to play your film. Um, I know Pastor Karen gave you popcorn and slushies last week, but I don't know, I, I, I just haven't. Um, so, uh, I, sorry, she set the bar up really high, and I thought about trying to meet it, and then I thought, no, I'm a bit tired. I just, no, no, I didn't think that. Um, uh, but you enjoyed it last week, right? I hope, she, did she spoil Toy Story 4 for you at all? No, she didn't let it all away, did she? I totally ruined Avengers Assemble, uh, not, uh, not Assemble, I keep on saying that. It dates me, doesn't it? Endgame, I totally ruined that for you. Um, uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Tonight, we're continuing in our other sermon series at the moment, uh, which is entitled, sounds a bit movie-like as well, it's entitled Coming Soon. And we're considering uh, the return of Jesus. Tonight, a little different, tonight is our furnace night of prayer and praise. So we're not going to do a great deal of teaching. What we are going to do is be inspired by the Spirit of God, inspired by his words so that we can praise God more fully and, and pray to him knowing that Jesus is coming again. Amen. That was a really good place for a hallelujah. Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. And uh, this is our hope. Not only that he has saved us, but that he is saving us in the midst of all these things that we live through today. And he will save us most perfectly and completely when he comes again and makes all things new. God is good. And so we're looking at that in the evenings this morning at the movies. The point of our series is to see perhaps the state of our world, of humanity, of the human experience in popular movies, current movies mostly, to see the good, the sometimes wondrously good things that, is, uh, that can be found within people, but also to see sometimes the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, to see also the longings that are um, painted for us in our movies, longings for more. And to speak the gospel relevantly into the world in which we live. I have a little question for you this morning. Does anything good ever come instantly? I've been thinking about this at the moment. Does anything good ever come instantly? Um, instant coffee. Quite clearly of the devil. I just want to put that out there right at the beginning of our gathering this morning. You may be drinking instant coffee, but you know, see this as a word from God. It's not in the scriptures might be slightly apocryphal, uh, but let the Spirit just do his work in your life. Um, you need proper coffee. Instant coffee is terrible. Uh, just think about it for a moment. Would you freeze dry your tea? Would you? Some of you are nodding your heads like you would. I think we need to pray healing for your taste buds. Um, you wouldn't do it. QT, do you remember that product? No, nobody does. I think that says it all. That was freeze-dried tea. It was awful. Freeze-dried coffee, really bad as well. They call it instant coffee. It's not. It's instant brown, sludgy evil. Um, have I made my feelings on the matter quite clear? Yes. Okay, help me out. Uh, thumbs up if you will never drink instant coffee again and you will seek the way of Christ in this. Um, uh, right, Mikey, I'm coming for you later. Um, Nothing good comes instantly. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some good things do come instantly. We went for an ice cream yesterday at Nichols in Parkgate. Other ice cream manufacturers are available. There's one next door, isn't there? What's the story there? It's strange, isn't it? But there you go. They seem to be doing all right. I don't know. Uh, but we went to Nichols, as you do. The queue was not long, so it was reasonably instant. And hallelujah, the ice cream was good. And uh, isn't it? 
Yeah, is anyone going to get ice cream after our gathering this morning? Maybe you will. Um, some things, they come pretty quick in life, but a lot of things, they take a bit of work to get to. Um, there's a guy called Malcolm Gladwell. He writes a lot of kind of thinky books, and he wrote one called Outliers, and within that, he did some research. He came to the conclusion that to become an expert in anything takes approximately 10,000 hours of committed and wholehearted investment. Has anyone got 10,000 hours going spare? It takes a while, doesn't it, to become an expert in anything? You know, I was planning on becoming an expert in all sorts of things. I don't know anymore. I'm not sure. No, I will. I'm going to try. But uh, it takes a while. The truth of the matter is, it takes even about 40 days of your life to make or to break a habit. Just to make or break a habit will take about 40 days of your life. We, you know, we talked about this when we were talking about prayer earlier in the year, didn't we? 10,000 hours to become an expert. Not much seems to come instantly. Our movie for today um, is, is the movie Instant Family. Did anybody see this movie? It's a few months ago, um, so you might have seen it. And uh, if you've not seen it, you can get it on all sorts of kind of streaming services now. So I would recommend you go and, you go and have a look at it. And in this movie, Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, there's another way of dating me as well, isn't it? Eh? Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne, Rosie R? I don't know, maybe not. Um, they're, they're kind of these property developers and entrepreneurs. If you like your kind of like property development shows, um, they're, they're kind of a bit like one of those. And they're this like picture postcard couple. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're good looking. They've got this beautiful relationship. They're really good at the work that they do. And they've been growing their business. And everything's going great guns. But into this picture of like this kind of, you know, domestic bliss, they... They kind of have this nagging kind of thought, this nagging question, this nagging something of uh, wanting kids. They want that to be part of their journey, but they just don't know how, how is this going to be possible. You know, I was going to say they're getting on a little bit, but that would make me getting on a little bit as well. And, and we don't ever want to acknowledge that, do we? Um, so they may be feeling like, oh, goodness, you know, we need to kind of think about this and make some decisions in life. And what if it is too late? And so Mark Wahlberg's character, Pete, feeling perhaps a little bit old for this dad lark. Um, you know, when you're, when you're a father of young kids, I think every dad feels a bit old for this. Uh, it just can be a bit exhausting. But he feels this about it. And he, he makes this off-the-cuff remark in the movie. He, he says, just off-the-cuff, he says, what about if we adopted some kids? But, not, you know, not like babies, but adopt like a five-year-old or something. And then we'll kind of, we'll have a five-year-old and we don't need to tell anybody. They'll just assume that we've had kids for five years and then we won't look like old parents. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying this is like a recommended strategy in life or anything. You're all looking at me horrified. Um, but, do you know, I, I can kind of see the sense in this. I sometimes think and joke with Erin, who, my wife is ridiculously young and youthful and energetic, as you know, and I am none of those things. And I sometimes joke a little bit, what's it going to look like um, when, when our, our kids are kind of like 18? And I, I, I think about how old I'm going to be. I'm not going to tell you how old I'm going to be. I'm going to leave you believing that I'm only going to be like 40 when the kids are 18. But I'm, I'm thinking, that, am I going to be that dad? And I'm going to be picking up my kids at school and they're going to be like, oh, your, your granddad came for you. Isn't that nice? And, uh, you shouldn't have laughed so much at that point. Um, I have taken names, and uh, visually, I, I know all the people who giggled. And um, there, in fact, I, I know that because only three of you didn't. Um, but, um, 
based on some of the sleep of our, our one-year-old has allowed for much of her first year in life, I can kind of see the wisdom in this approach. Five-year-olds, you know, kind of get through some of those messy moments. And um, he kind of makes this off-the-cuff remark, and so then begins this whirlwind adventure of Pete and Ellie, and the three, yes, three children they end up adopting, Lizzie, Juan, and Lita. This movie, it's loosely based on the true story of the director, Sean Anders, and the three children that he and his wife have adopted. You know, the movie, it's a little bit cheesy in parts, a little bit schmaltzy, and there is, I, I want to just make this plain, there is a bit too much swearing to be able to affirm this is a family-friendly option for everybody. But it is a great film. It's challenging and inspiring in equal measure. And Erin and I, we were watching it, and um, we are tired, and we are parents of young children, so we, uh, that was a good point to young children to contribute. And uh, because of these reasons, we do, basically, we do cry at anything, uh, any other parents there? Yeah, we just cry because we're, we're really exhausted. Um, but in this movie, it kind of got us. And so we were kind of just, you know, quietly just weeping uh, by the end of this. But I, I already admitted that I weeped at the end of Avengers as well. So you know that I'm just obviously a clear softie in every which way. Um, I'm not seeing Toy Story because it's just going to get way too messy um, in the weeping stakes. But there you go. We were moved. But not just moved, but we found it profoundly thought-provoking. Erin and I, we talked really from the moment we knew one another about um, adoption. And God willing, that's going to be a part of our future. And uh, we kind of started exploring that already. And, and within that context, we found ourselves really moved by uh, this film, but more by its story. My hope is that today, we also will be challenged and inspired by God by God's will and his heart to adopt us. Did you know that you were adopted? Did you know that? And within this, his call that we should see his heart for the, for the lonely, for the orphan, for the fatherless, which scripturally is so rich. We're just gonna take a moment now, guys. Can you help me? And we're gonna show a little bit of uh, the director's story interspersed with a little bit of the movie. We'll watch this as we continue. Thank you. It is, it is a funny movie, and the, there is loads to, to recommend it in that way. Um, before we kind of come back to some of the things that I, I got out of the film, I just wanna root this in what the Bible has to say about adoption. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this as a key theme of the Bible, but it is. And the Bible speaks into the world as it is. God is all about adoption. And God recognizes that his world is broken and that families can often be broken too. And God really early on in the scriptures speaks to his heart for the widow and the orphan and they often kind of come together in the, in the Bible. And he also speaks to our obligations, our right response um, to a world of need. As I was looking through this, I was struck just by how often God speaks up for the fatherless. If you were to consider just the book of Deuteronomy alone, and you don't have to write all of these down, you can do the work for yourself, but in, in chapter 10 and verse 18, chapter 14 and verse 29, chapter 16, verses 11 and 14, chapter 24, verse 17, 19 and 20 and 21, in chapter 26, verses 12 to 13, and chapter 27, verse 19, God speaks about his heart towards the fatherless. It's quite a bit, isn't it? 
And that's just in one book of the Bible. And I was, I was saying with Erin, I was, I was kind of surprised, taken aback a little bit, about how God is for justice towards those who need justice. Justice for those who perhaps don't have the easiest start in life, or justice for those who find their world falling apart at some point along the way. In Exodus 22 and verse 23, God says his wrath will burn against those who mistreat the fatherless. That's not kind of you know, light and easy language, is it? God's wrath would burn against those who mistreat those who don't have parents. This is a really intense thing. And clearly God is all about justice and protection and a change of heart within a broken world. It's God's heart to protect. And it's God's heart to welcome into his family. Proverbs 23 Verses 10 and 11, they say, they say these things. They say, do not, it moves on to, do not enter the fields of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. And Psalm 68, verses 5 and the beginning of 6 adds this. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. I, I, I suspect in a, in a gathering of this size, many of us perhaps haven't had the, the kind of the family background or the family experiences that we would have wanted. There might be some of you here and you're saying, well, it's all well and good to speak into this, Greg, but this actually is, is personal for me. It's painful for me. And I think as we begin this and start to unpack how God might call us and direct us in our lives, it's worthwhile recognizing that God is for you. No matter your circumstance, no matter your heritage, no matter your parentage or your upbringing, no matter what you've had plenty of and perhaps didn't want or not had enough of and really longed for, God is for you. It's not quite the same as saying God is on your side. He invites us to be on his side. But he is for you and he loves you and he longs for your justice and seeks it earnestly. And and the challenge I have for us today is, in fact, church, God wants to work that love, that heart, that justice through his church into the world. This is not abstract themes and thinking. This is not, oh, isn't it nice that God feels that way? I can feel however I like. No, Christian. We are called to be like this God, for his heart to become our heart, for his way of looking and thinking and acting to be our way of looking and thinking and acting. And, you know, through the, through the kind of lens of this film and through the, the guidance of scripture, we can learn how we can do that. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there are just uh, three named examples of adoption. A couple of them are really famous and the third one, not so much. But uh, Moses... He was adopted. You remember the story? There he was, found in the bulrushes, escaping persecution, and and God brought him into this incredible kind of place of opulence, but rooted him still in his heritage, and from that came incredible things. Esther, you might not have realized, she grew up in an adopted um, environment. She was adopted and went on. And, And the third example, honest to goodness, I reckon I can probably confidently say, hundred pounds if anyone can name the third example. I didn't think anybody would. I'd be so surprised if you did. And, and 
if you did name it, then I didn't mean it about the hundred pounds. Um, but um, the, no, no, that's slightly different. But uh, I get where you're coming from. Um, in terms of adoption, Genobath. Genobath. Did anyone have Genobath? I don't even know whether I'm saying his name right, but there you go. Um, First Kings chapter 10. It's not, it's not very relevant. Sorry, Genabath. Uh, apologies. Um, but it's to the New Testament that we turn if we want to get a fuller theology of what adoption might look like for the followers of God, the believers of God, for Christians. Now, incidentally, the movie, the, there is, there's loads that's funny in it, but uh, they do have this kind of support group um, for adoptive parents as they're kind of going through the journey. And there's loads of characters. That, I mean, they're, they're a bit kind of caricatures, but they are funny. And within it, there is this Christian couple. And, and God bless them. Um, they're, they're such a, a gentle pair. And uh, they have such kind of like, you know, an idea of what everything's going to look like. And everything's going to be neat and tidy because they're neat and tidy. Because isn't that what a Christian should be? No. Um, and, uh, and so they come to it with all their expectations and they think that they're just, everything's going to come together because, you know, that they know Jesus. And because, because we know Jesus, everything comes together in life. Isn't that right? No. Um, but God, God works all things together for good. And, uh, and in this support group, it comes, they, they adopt this little And I forget how old the, the one that they adopt is, but he's really quite little, like three or four or something like that. But they, we don't know that yet. And they start describing this litany of destruction of profanity and frankly all of the evil poured out upon their lives and, uh, and then they say and this is our three-year-old and everyone's like "Ooh, okay um, it's like pretty distressing but uh, you don't have to be like that to be a Christian seeking to bring out the will of God in the world actually to enter into the brokenness and hurts and needs of our world oftentimes means that that brokenness and hurt comes right to us doesn't it And actually, if we're really to engage with some of the things that desperately need Christian witness, Christian love, the will and the way of God, then we're going to get broken a bit along the way. This is the truth of the matter. This is the way of Jesus. He shows it very, very plainly to us by going all the way to a cross. Having said, and then you'll have to pick up your cross and follow me. It's the way of Jesus. In the New Testament, we find a great deal of theology about adoption. We might be used to the idea, this idea of being adopted into the family of God. But when you think about it, and I'm indebted to John Piper for kind of pointing me in this direction. When you think about the Bible and what the Bible's already said about the way of salvation, in a sense, why did God choose to add this extra idea about adoption? It's the Apostle Paul who was inspired by the Spirit to add this to the Scriptures. Why? We've already got loads and loads and loads in the Gospels all about what it is to be born into the family of God, to be born again of the Spirit and thereby to enter into the family of God. That's a pretty vivid image. Birth is pretty vivid. Can I get an amen from any mothers in the house? Uh, no, maybe not. Uh, but birth is it's pretty kind of dramatic, and it's a dramatic kind of uh, visual image for us to understand entering into the, the family of God. Why? Why would God then say, oh, but let's add the image of adoption. Let's add this other way of understanding what it is to enter the family of God. God chose to affirm 
that entering into the family of God can both be seen as a new birth of the Spirit and as the choice of adoption. They're both equally valid ways of understanding what it is to be part of family, to be part of the family of God. There isn't a primary and a secondary, a first class and a second class, a first choice and a worst choice. Actually, God is saying that these are ways of family being formed according to God. He uses the language of both to declare the fullness of what it means to be part of his family. And this is an important thing for us to understand. You know, I'm very conscious that within the broken world in which we live, it's not possible for everybody to have uh, family, to have children through natural means. I know that's the struggle of some within our church family, many within our community. It doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes, because of this, we can see other things as like a fallback position or as like a, a second best. But actually, God is saying, welcoming children into our lives ought to reflect the way that God welcomes us into his life. And that actually recognizing the need, neither is better than the other. That both are good. And both are good ways of affirming the heart of God for family into our world. And we live in a world, and please, this is not in any form of a judgment or anything like that, but I wanted to ask, we live in a world, in Western societies at least, where we spend so much money on fertility treatment and IVF and all of these kinds of things. And I understand why people want to pursue these things, but we spend so much on that, but then so little on the children in our society who need love and care and please God, a family to call their own. Can it be right that we've skewed the way of looking at things so much that so much investment goes in one direction and so little in the other? It doesn't seem to be the heart of God. If you've got a Bible, you might just want to turn to Galatians chapter 4 for a minute. I'd recommend you have a look at this short passage again uh, through the week as you consider these things. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul lays out some of his thinking that the Holy Spirit had dropped into his heart. I just want to read verses 4 and 5. And um, here, here Paul says, according to God, when the fullness of time had come. Does anybody know that God does everything in perfect timing? Does anybody know that? that is anybody happy about that? Uh, truthfully, is anybody not happy about that and you wish that he was on board with your timing? Um, you can be honest, as church, it's all right. But when the fullness of time, when God had decided this was right, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. There's a uniqueness about the Son of God. He's the only begotten Son. He is eternal. He is one with the Father of the same substance. He is co-equal. He is eternally God. And the nature of his sonship is neither birth nor adoption, but that he, and, and we could get into the theology of this until the cow come, comes home, but he is eternally the Son. And that is the nature of his dynamic and relationship with the Father, but he is always God. And so something unique is coming into our world. God sent forth his son, God. But now, born of woman, born under the law, is the humility, the submission of Jesus, make himself functionally subordinate to accomplish our salvation. He was born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Because he becomes under the law just like you and me, but he is not in just like you and me. He's sinless and perfect. 
The law is not there to keep him on the straight and narrow because he does not sin. Rather, he comes as the fulfillment of the law so that you and I, broken, under the weight of the law, knowing that we can never meet God's standard, he becomes the standard, the righteousness that we can then receive by his grace. God did all of this. Why? Verse 5, redeemed under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Just quickly to point out, when the Bible says sons, it says so with a very deliberate reason. It's not about sex. It's not about saying the Bible prioritizes male over female or men over women. It doesn't mean that in any way, shape, or form. We know that because the Bible, in this same self-same letter, has said that in God there's neither male nor female. What it is doing, it's talking about status. It's talking about inheritance because the Bible is a cultural document. It's of its time. And so to be called a son means that you're first class. It means that you are the recipient of all of the possibility, promise, and inheritance of the Father. That's what the Bible is saying. So God has done all of this work when the fullness of time has come so that we might receive adoption, first class son status in him. It's just a few short words in the Bible. But within this is all the cost of Jesus humbling himself to come as a vulnerable baby, to live all the challenges of a human life yet without sin. Ultimately, there is the cost of Jesus freely giving his life, the cost of a brutal cross, the cost of him shouldering the weight of all the sin of the world. And within this, just these few short words that open up this way for us, we see this glimpse, this sense of the price that Jesus paid for you and for me. Adoption is costly. Having children by birth is costly. But there are some senses whereby having, a child, having children by adoption, as, as that director, that guy Sean pointed out, is differently costly. And it comes as an abrupt challenge, an abrupt challenge to our way of thinking and our way of living. Adoption is hard, it's costly, it's messy, and it hurts. Whether for God choosing to adopt us into his family or for anyone in this world choosing to adopt into theirs. The eldest of the children that Pete and Ellie in the movie adopt, she's called Lizzie, a teenager, and uh, as everyone knows, teenagers are always all sweetness and light. Isn't, isn't that right? Yeah. They, they told me to say that. Um, no, they didn't. Um, but she's got genuine reasons for some of her hurts and her pains. She really does. And she's absolutely right when quite early on in the movie, she calls out Pete and Lizzie as clueless do-gooders, which they are. <laughs> and which we all are when we first try to get involved. You ever feel inadequate in helping to meet somebody's need? Yeah, it's because you are. Um, it's really good to recognize that we are all inadequate. And the wonderful thing is, as Christians, when we come into a place of need to meet a need, we don't come because we're awesome. Can we just kind of set that straight? If anyone here thinks that you're awesome, come on, we'll pray for you at the end. And uh, maybe God will help you. I don't know. Um, because we don't come because we're awesome. We come because he's awesome. Isn't that right? You know, we don't bring our best ideas. We bring his one and only idea, which is the best. We bring God and his grace and his goodness. 
And so Lizzie calls them out for their best ideas, which are all a bit cute and wonderful and awful. And it isn't long, as you saw, before Pete is breaking the young lad Juan's nose with a mistimed basketball pass. And I know he says it's not because he's a fan of the Clippers, but I think that's a legitimate reason. Anybody with me? No, um, no not at all. Um, none of you watch basketball, that's why is it. I thought all you Filipinos love basketball. Come on, help me out. Um, basketball, uh, wonderful. Anyhow, um, but the, the nose gets broken and, and you know, loads of stuff gets broken. Watch the movie. Vases, glasses, plates, everything gets absolutely trashed and smashed. Anybody want to adopt kids? Um, everything gets totally broken in this movie because that's what it is to adopt. Tears are flowing freely. And the movie's turning point, actually what it hinges on, because it seems like this might not work out, what it hinges on is actually a moment that seems the most terrible moment of all, when one of the kids gets shot in the foot with a nail gun. It's pretty desperate, isn't it? It doesn't really get much. Has anyone here shot their kids with a nail gun? Okay, you probably wouldn't want to confess that in front of everybody anyway, would you, if you had? But it doesn't really get much worse than that, does it? But that's what happens, and everything hinges on that, it's pretty messy, but things move to a good place. In one of the most painfully real moments in the film, the parents, Pete and Ellie, they're, they're in bed. They collapse into bed at the end of a long day. And there they play out the possibility between them of what it might look like to return the kids. <gasps> it seems like it's, it's something you should never say, let alone think. But it's kind of real and a bit honest. And they kind of like war games, some scenarios and they're like, if we tell everybody such and such a story, then it won't look like we're evil people. And they'll just, maybe they'll think that we're even better than we are. And, and it's such a terrible moment because for a minute, you can see that they really mean it because it's really hard. It's really hard to do what they're doing. Hard to be a part of the healing of children. Hard to form family where none was. And they genuinely consider throwing in the towel. I wanted to kind of point out just for a moment before we move on. I joked before about instant coffee. Didn't really joke about it. It's absolutely true. But it's not that important. Um, but in life, you know, we within our society and culture, we kind of craft as much as is possible ways of getting around cost of difficulty, of pain. And we've gotten pretty good at it. You know, we have kinds of health care and social care and societal care and structures and systems and we build within ourselves skills and abilities and, and if not, then we just put up brick walls and kind of make our heart as hard as possible. And We kind of figure out ways whereby we never actually really need to pay cost to get from A to B. We consider cost to be a hurdle that we, we're not going to leap around, we're not going to leap over, are we? we'll find a way to go around it. Or we'll kind of diminish it somehow. Or we'll just use a bit more intelligence or a bit more wealth or a bit more whatever to try and get rid of it, get rid of the pain of entering into this world. But in the kingdom, in the things of God, cost isn't a hurdle. It's not an obstacle. Cost is a gateway. It is the one and only means of entering fully into the things of God. You know, we had this painted for us most vividly. It was kind of a parable played out in our church. 
just the week before last when we had those beautiful, wonderful Korean missionaries here with us. And they came because once upon a time, our forefathers in the UK went to the Korean Peninsula and they went at great cost and they took the gospel message and you know, they, they, they lost many things in doing so, but they faithfully took the gospel message and the church in Korea and, and still in South Korea has flourished absolutely wonderfully. And so these folks, they decided, actually, we want to embrace cost. And so at the cost of their holiday time, at the cost of finance, at the cost of tiredness and weariness, they came and every single night through the week, they prayed from 10 in the evening till 3 in the morning. And then they did a plenty of stuff through the day as well. And then they served you on Sunday and, and said that they were glad to be a part of you. They didn't know anything about you except what I wrote down in advance for them. Not very much. But they said, cost is the means of seeing the kingdom of God come. And that's what we want for the UK. That's what we want for the Wirral. And so they laid themselves down quite literally so that we might see something of the will and the kingdom of God come. A handful of you, you caught this. And some of you came night by night by night, 10 till 12, and you came to seek God through cost. And I know, because my affirmation is of limited value, but I know that in doing so, we have the affirmation of heaven on us. And that actually the Bible teaches very clearly that in doing these things, we lay up treasure in heaven. And this is a valuable and important thing to do. Not only that, but it's through the means of cost that we see something of heaven come in the here and now. I want to challenge you in every area of your Christian life, whether it be spiritual, practical, supernatural, natural, in every which way, how are you seeking to recognize the cost, count it, and pay it? It's not something to be negotiated away. And you might congratulate yourself on making your Christian life as doable as possible. Well, if you have done so, then you've stopped following Jesus. As Jesus makes really plain, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you are not my disciple. It's not my words, Luke 14. He says it himself. It is the means of entry into the things of the kingdom. Where's the cost in your life? Adoption is hard. It costs Jesus everything in the natural it's hugely costly in every which way it certainly is not about wish fulfillment there's another character in the support group um and uh, and there's a re recurring joke about her uh, she's a single white lady uh, but for her own reasons she's trying to adopt an athletic african-american child and so she basically is saying, you know, are they tall? Are they big? Are they strong? Can they run fast? And all these kinds of things. Because have you seen the movie The Blind Side? Um, it's kind of that kind of thing. And she sees herself in that model. And she's got this kind of vision about this kind of incredible child that she will nurture to glory. And, uh, well, suffice to say, it does not work out that way at all. Adoption is not about wish fulfillment. For a moment or two, can we be humble and recognize that if God wanted to fulfill his wishes, he may not have picked you or me? Can we be honest about that? Uh, you know, if he was just saying, oh, are they big and strong? You know, can they do everything? Are they kind of holy already? Do they fulfill my law perfectly? If that was the kind of wish fulfillment that God was practicing, he wouldn't have picked us. While we were sinners, 
Christ died for us. Ungodly ones. Came to rescue us out of our rebellion. The Bible makes it really, really graphic. It says that we were, by our nature, objects of wrath. But God didn't fulfill that. Rather, he fulfilled something that went beyond wishing and hoping. Hmm. Now, obviously, I hope and I pray over my boy every day that he will be a basketball-playing, cello-playing architect and be all the things that I neither have been nor could be in any way, shape, or form. No, I don't. He can be whatever he wants. Uh, but, you know, I will tell him about the other things. Um, <laughs> he, he, can, he can be whatever he wants. It's not about wish fulfillment, is it? Biological adopted kids, it's not about that. In Galatians 4, God gives so that we can receive. That's what it says in verses 6 and 7. It says, because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Goodness, to receive the very spirit of Jesus Christ, the son, so that we can call God our father, our Abba. This is incredible. It doesn't fulfill his wishes, not in a simplistic sense, although this is his wish, his will, but it fulfills anything you could possibly wish for in life. We, the adopted ones, have been granted so much in Jesus. You know, this is not his plan B. This is his determined purpose. We looked at it earlier in our gathering, Ephesians 1, verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He knew the need would unfold. He doesn't get blindsided by anything. He's not confused by the brokenness of his world. He's hurt drastically by it. But he's not surprised. And so he planned for yours and my salvation, for us to be adopted, welcomed in, made new, be part of the family. He's not caught off guard. Look, can we kind of lay it down on the line? The statistics, they line up a bit like this. There are 50-something thousand churches in the UK. And there are 55,000 children currently in foster care in the UK, roughly speaking. If one and a bit families per church chose to adopt kids, then there wouldn't be any kids in foster care in the UK. There are 70-something thousand children in some form of looked-after care in the UK. One and a half families per church, a couple of families per church in the UK. And then there's no kids without a family. Don't worry, you know, if you don't get in there quick and be that one family, then there are many more kids in the world who need families too. You know, when we kind of bring it into just the simple statistics, we recognize not only that this is God's heart, his will, his justice, his purpose, but that this is something that we can be a part of. It's not for everybody. Not everybody is called to be that adoptive family. James chapter 1 and verse 27 makes this very plain and very clear that pure, the pure and undefiled religion, the kind of religion that God wants, is to look after widows and orphans in their distress. So if you're not called to adopt a family, that's okay. 
not a call to adopt children, that's okay. What is your calling? Because you are called to take care of orphans. The Bible says so, really clear, really, really clear. Really practical, how can we do this? You'll know as a church that we partner with a wonderful organization locally called Safe Families for Children. And I know maybe a dozen of us in this church are volunteers within this. And um, it's a way of connecting with families in need. Oftentimes the children are still in their, their birth families, but the families, they need help. They need friendship. They need support. They need resourcing and care. And, you know, if you want to be a part of that, we've got a display stand here. You can come at the close of our gathering, take some resource. We can help you to connect with that ministry. There are loads and loads of different ways that you can connect through that with local families who need you. They don't need anyone else. They need you, okay? Uh, And so there are so many different ways that we can say, yes, 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 I'm going to engage with this. It's not a problem, but it is a need. It's the heart of God. I mentioned John Piper before, and um, he adopted, and um, he'd had He'd had a lot of boys, I don't know how many boys, but a number of boys. Um, He and his wife had had some boys and then they felt moved according to the heart of God into adoption. And and so age 50, some of you were thinking you were old enough to get out of this, weren't you? Uh, But age 50, um, he and his wife, Noel, they adopted and they adopted a girl which terrified him because he only knew what to do with boys. And they adopted outside of their culture, which terrified him again, because he's pretty white. Um, and, uh, and so he wasn't really sure, what, what's this going to look like? But they were moved by the heart of God. And they knew this wasn't a message for someone else, but for them. And so he said, you know, and he preaches and writes on this far better than I ever could. But he said, look, come on, it's costly, but it is the way of Jesus And so we want to enter into this as fully as we possibly can. And Romans 8, you know, he says, come on, there will be present sufferings. But the glory far outweighs it. And within their experience, they've seen some of that glory of God begin to show itself through the investment they've made in their daughter. And they know that that glory is simply increasing until the return of Christ. I just want to return for a moment to the sense that we enter into the things of God's will in this world. His kingdom come, his will be done through cost. Go away and watch this movie. My apologies for the profanity. You know, I didn't put it in there, but go and watch the movie. Be moved. Be moved by the heart of God for adoption. Not just moved. Seek how you will respond. Come and take a flyer. Find out about this. You know, there's a young lady and her husband who are connected. I can still call them young, right? Um, Connected to the church who know a bit about adoption. Um, And if you want to find out a bit more about that, can I say they can come see you, Pastor Nick and Leslie? And I'm sure they want to help, wouldn't they? And um, I I was going to say they're not the young people involved, but that sounds wrong, doesn't it? That's terrible. But they know them uh, very closely, and, uh, and, and they would help to connect you if you want to find out more about that. Um, like I said, Erin and I, we're, we're just very early days kind of beginning to explore it. If it is God's will in our life and it comes about, we're going to need your help. You know, we're going to need your help. Um, but in whatever way, 
We're connecting with the need of children according to the heart of the Father. Then just do it. Just do it. Connect with the heart of your Father and connect that heart to those in your world who desperately need to know the heart of the Father. We're going to come and worship as we close.